Hi everyone, welcome to Chi Alpha After Hours. We're your hosts, Cassie, Nathan, and Christian, here to take a closer look at what it means to follow Jesus on a university campus. In this episode, we'll be discussing the election coming up in the United States this November and ways that we as Christians can honor Jesus and each other in this election season. So what we're not going to do is tell you who to vote for or who we're voting for. There probably are things that the three of us disagree about. It's not like we have biblical records of Jesus telling Americans how to vote in 2020. What we have instead are biblical principles that can help us discern and make wise decisions. So today, we're going to discuss what responsibilities we have as Christians in terms of how we conduct ourselves in a democracy. We're not experts, just people trying to be faithful to Jesus. This is a messy topic, but as we talked about in the last episode, we're hardcore. This is the kind of thing that's often hard for ministries to talk about, but we believe that there's value in talking about hard things, even if we don't have all the answers. So let's jump into it. October 13th is the voter registration deadline here in Oregon, so that's coming up in like a week. Let's start by talking about that. Do you guys think that Christians should vote? Well, Cassie, I definitely think Christians should be voting. A lot of these issues that you know presidents are running for or are um, issues on the ballot are things that have to do with, with morals and things that Jesus is deeply concerned about. And so I think... We have an opportunity to influence our culture, you know, with with even though it's like one vote out of millions, uh, that's how our government is run. And it's our opportunity to be involved and make a difference um, in the culture of our country and the culture of our laws. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's really important to vote. Mm-hmm. So, Christian, would you say every Christian should vote? So, I think Christians should be engaged and I think they should be voting in some capacity. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Nathan? So uh, I personally do not vote. Um, and that's not a like political statement, actually. It's actually a very personal statement. Um, for myself, like years ago, I realized that there was like a sense of like, um, I really don't ever feel a sense of confidence in the knowledge that I have about any political issue. Typically, I only have values. Um, And so sometimes those values I can vote on very consistently. But much of the time I am like, I don't know how I feel about this thing or what's right or what's good. And I need to gather a a lot of knowledge in order to vote in good conscience. And so uh, some years ago, I was just like, I don't have the time, energy or really strong desire to investigate things to that degree. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I, I don't vote for that reason. I also have found that, um, in engaging with people, I've never seen a policy change or a law actually change a person's attitude about something. Um, and so from a pastoral sense, I've actually like found it much more helpful to engage people being like, well, I actually don't vote. And people are like, wait, what? And they kind of expect me to have some anarchist position or something (laughs) like that, or down with democracy, I think. Um, But it ends up being a really, really interesting conversation because uh, my position is not that people shouldn't vote. It's that I just don't feel confident enough to vote. 
So I think it's perfectly good to vote. It's not, again, a political statement. It's just like, I don't feel confident enough to vote. Um, and so when I get in conversations with people, I can usually communicate my values and what I believe. And I think that actually tends to be a conversation that moves people more towards like understanding me. Um, and uh, they tend to be a little bit more receptive to like what I think and my beliefs and and such rather than being like, well, starting with, you know, I voted for this person or that person or on this position or that position. And then it usually, and I, this is my observation of other people, it turns into a very like uh, combative conversation. Um, and uh, I just really deeply value being able to talk to people rather than at people. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely have conversations with people, particularly in philosophy. I get very heated on philosophical issues, and I lament the combative attitude I can have in that situation. Um, but I just really value not getting into a competition over a political issue. I'd rather have like a conversation about what people actually believe mm -hmm. and what they think, um, which tends to be a lot more of a helpful conversation towards people coming to know Jesus. Um, and also like, it's very in line with that value that we shared last week of like to understand as to be understood, you know, um, it, I think it, I've had so many conversations with people who, uh, are like, well, actually Nathan's got a really thoughtful position and he listens to my position mm -hmm. and we're fine. That's great. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. So that's kind of what I think about it. Yeah. So. I will say when you said you didn't vote uh, when I heard that the first time, that was my initial response is like, is this like, what's going on with Nathan? You know, where is this coming from? <laughs> I think I am anarchistic, <laughs> I think, on some level. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. No, I think the reason for that, though, is that there is there does seem to be this position that a lot of people have that politics is just personal or um, as Christians, we don't need to be engaging in that way. Um, because it's, I don't know, contrary to the gospel. Um, so do you guys have any thoughts on that? Is there anything you would say to that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, with um, kind of with Nathan's thought, you know, Nathan's saying, well, I don't think I'd, I don't need to influence or get, um, get really, I'd rather just deal with the person and I don't see attitude changing. But, but we're, you know, I don't think we're just dealing with attitudes. We're dealing with how laws are being decided, you know. So a, a couple of years ago, there was the um, issue about marijuana. When I was living in Washington, marijuana was on the ballot to be legalized. And, um, you know, I just see that as a fight for our culture, you know, like that, you know, because we legalize marijuana, kids are going to grow up seeing their parents high on the couch. And they're going to think like what it means to grow up is to be a marijuana user. And I see that as a deeply mm -hmm. moral thing. And if we don't ha take the opportunity to change our culture and affect it, um, then we're just letting, like we're just resigning our culture to to its own own devices and not, not trying to actively participate in that. And I appreciate Nathan saying, well, I'm really concerned about the attitude, but I, I'd like to set up policies that help our culture go in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I, I tend to lean that way, too. I think I see voting 
as a way to love my neighbor well, um, to love people and to honor God in that too. Um, so I do vote. I was that kid who like signed up on my 18th birthday to vote. <laughs> so yeah. that was the most exciting thing to me. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on from there um, and talk about like the political parties and political issues and what it means to be a Christian navigating those things. Um, I think I've noticed, especially recently going through social media, um, different people using scripture to justify Mm -hmm. arguments for either side of an issue or um, for a certain political party. So as Jesus followers, like what should we do with that? Like what does that mean for us? Or maybe why is it happening? I think that the Bible is sacred and... Um, when we use the Bible, whether it's in a political context or in a personal spiritual context in our own personal spiritual growth, there is like this high, high degree of reverence that we need to use when um, we use it for our political positions, but also when we hear other people's political positions being backed by it. And so what do I, what do I mean by a high degree of reverence? Um, you know, one thing that, uh, Christian and I have talked about a number of times is you can't read the Bible. You can't, uh, there's a, there's a saying, uh, uh, a text without context is a pretext. Hmm. Um, and what that essentially means is that it's really easy to take one passage or one sentence or one verse out of scripture and, um, use it to, validate a position very easily. But when you consider context, and when I say context, I mean context of the whole Bible, mm-hmm. um, you might end up having a higher, uh, different understanding of what that verse actually means. So for as an example, I was reading a uh, an atheist uh, recently, and he said that the church's position has always been that celibacy is better. I was like, which he quotes Paul, the apostle, who says, you know, I'd prefer that you are all celibate. But I was like, well, here's the problem with your using that verse is that, well, Jesus made marriage or God made marriage. Jesus is God, so it kind of works. Um, but God made marriage in Genesis chapter one. Thank you, Christian. He signaled the one. It's I'm just giving two? credit. Two. I mean, it's one two. and two. One and two. Fine. Yeah. It's it, but it's in the first. It's in the first book of the Bible. In the first two chapters. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, so Paul is. I, I think that there's this greater context that this uh, this um, atheist is not really paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And so when we start uh, using the text, the Bible as a uh, as a means of referring, which I don't think is bad, mm-hmm. um, as a means of making decisions, which we should be using it for, we need to like really develop a sense of like the whole and not just a passage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, um, to talk about God's judgment of the world without talking about his mercy is... <laughs> Like it is, yeah. it's bad. It's really bad. It's like, well, God's just judgmental. It's like, no, actually he's incredibly loving and deeply loving. That's the message of the gospel is that he's like, I don't want to judge you. I want you to be with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I 
I think I'm gonna start. Yeah. I, I think I think with your sacredness idea about the Bible being very sacred, it's a very good um, it's a good point. And politicians or kings or leaders have used the Bible to justify mm-hmm. um, different political things for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some famous ones in like the recent 200 years, you know, would be um, you know Abraham Lincoln saying a house divided against itself cannot stand. You know, mm-hmm. quoting. Jesus, um, and uh, he used that to talk about why we need to oppose the uh, Confederacy seceding from the North, you know, or I remember when 2001 happened and, um, uh, and, you know, 9-11 in 2001, um, George Bush talked about, he singled out North Korea, Iran, and Iraq, and he said um, that those countries don't stand against terrorism, and he said, and if you don't... If you aren't for us, you're against us, which is a quote of Jesus. Um, and so, you know, using that political, um, using that scriptural language to justify a political belief in both those cases, some level of like war. Mm-hmm. Um, or Barack Obama, I remember when he brought up the um, immigration issue, um, when he when he signed things to make it easier for dreamers to stay in the United States, he talked about the Old Testament um, and it's, um, it's love towards the foreigner, the com- command mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to, to make a place for the foreigner, to be kind to the foreigner. And, um, and so, you know, there's just, there's been this, um, this scriptural and religious discourse in politics, like since the beginning. I mean, even in our declaration of independence, right? Yeah. We're all created mm-hmm. equal, mm-hmm. you know? So these are all, all coming from the Bible. And I think what concerns me about it is, I think it's like a double-edged sword because what concerns me about it is that um, somebody is trying to say, essentially, I'm the one that's on God's side. So, you know, um, like I've got this, I've got some lyrics from the Battle Hymn of the Republic, (laughs) which were, which this was written in the Civil War to to help the Union fight against uh, the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. And it has these parts here where it says, um, it says, um, here we go. It talks about, uh, mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. So this is like something that like would motivate the, the Union troops, the Northern troops. And it essentially says God's truth is the Union army. Mm-hmm. His truth is marching on. There's like a direct like image mm-hmm. of like, oh, this is the Union. Right. You know, and then um, the ju- God's judgment is like, is the the Northern army, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there's this sense like this whole thing is is built to motivate the north and say hey we're on god's side god's on your side you're god's judgment and in some ways i find that extremely disturbing Mm -hmm. to have somebody um, co-opt the bible to to justify and and get people to be on a certain political side Mm -hmm. but on the other side in the same hymn it taught in the third verse it says um it talks about um there's this line where it says Christ died to make us holy. Let us die to make men free. And it's just reminding, uh, like the North, hey, this is 
in this fight, we're we're fighting for the for slavery. We're fighting to end slavery, mm-hmm. and that's something God hates. And in fact, God does hate that. Yeah, it isn't just purely a propaganda song. This is a song that actually does hold some truth. Of like we are fighting with God, and so this is God is not. Um, he doesn't. Ha- he had definitely has an opinion about the outcome of this war, mm-hmm. and so I think there's definitely a place for scripture in politics, but I think it takes a lot of nuance and it takes a lot of discernment on part of the mm-hmm. listener so that we're not just swayed because somebody uses some scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we can assume that because one side is using scripture, they're automatically right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think it's tricky because, you know, we were just talking about how voting is a spiritual thing. And so as Christians, we should seek scripture to, um, to figure out how to vote and to figure out how we're going to engage politically. Um, But I don't think we can always do that clearly. Um, You know, like we can take the whole of scripture, but that may not tell us on this specific issue, the way it's presented here in 2020, here's how to vote. Um, And I think something that we see, like I was listening to this really great sermon a couple months ago, uh, and I was talking about how um, each of the political parties currently has a high value that isn't necessarily exactly what Jesus was aiming for. Um, Like on the Republican side, you have a high value for freedom, um, which Jesus is not opposed to. And on the Democratic side, you have this high value of equality, and Jesus is not opposed to that. But Jesus's core value was relationships, Mm -hmm. like loving personal relationships. And Mm -hmm. so on either side, you can have these things that Jesus is excited about, Um, but it's not necessarily centered on Mm -hmm. him. And so I think it's challenging for us to have something that really is centered on him Mm -hmm. and then to still discern, okay, what's right, what's good here versus what's good over here. Yeah. We can't just align ourselves one way and say, this is good forever. No. And I think there's just this, this desire for a soundbite. I mean, we just like live in a culture where we want the celebrity to mirror us Mm -hmm. or we want the politician to mirror our values. Mm -hmm. And we just need to know they don't, you know, we can't ever trust a celebrity or a politician or a political party is going to embody our values. They might even mm-hmm. say they do. Right. But they <laughs> might not right. still, you know. So I think we still, have, we just have to have some level of distrust at some level or critical distrust mm-hmm. um, of that kind of discourse. Yeah. The kingdom of God is not encapsulated in either political party or no. any person. Mm-hmm. No. Our president is not Jesus and never will be <laughs> until right. he returns. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Until Jesus returns. Until Jesus returns. Not the president. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, not until the president returns. That's a problem. All right. So we live in this divisive culture. Um, and I think, you know, we don't have to talk about that to see that that's true. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Um, so thinking about the ways that we interact with other people, other Christians, or even people who aren't Christians, um, how can we represent Jesus well in terms of character in the ways Mm -hmm. we talk or act during election season? I think this is something I just thought of this and I I hope it's pretty related, but, uh, I real I just realized this, that Jesus and his like disciples, um, and this is. I, I'm sure Christian and um, Cassie know this, and a lot of our listeners know this, um, that Jesus' disciples were actually politically different. Mm-hmm. So there was a number who were uh, zealots, which were 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they're basically insurrectionists and they are like, we want the Romans out. Mm-hmm. Like, we do not want the Roman Empire here. They're yeah. terrible. Then you have um, Matthew, the tax, Matthew the tax collector, mm-hmm. and he's basically working for the Romans. He's literally yeah. collecting money for the Romans. And then there's like other, uh, like you have Peter, who's just sort of a dude that's there. Um, and like a lot of them, I imagine, were just guys that were there. Um, and one thing that I think is, I this is what occurred to me. I was like, something that was so powerful about the presence of Christ was, I love this guy so much, I don't care if I'm hanging out with my enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ultimately, what happened to all 12 of those people, all of them were like, I love this person so much that I've changed. Like, I've, my my personality is totally different. Mm-hmm. Why were uh, Why was John who wrote the book of John and first, second, and third John, why was he called one of the sons of thunder? It's because he was kind of a loud guy. That's one of the theories. He's like this very, very vocal individual. And he turns into this guy that's so fatherly mm. towards his, if you read it, like uh, first John, he says, dear children all the time. And it's this really beautiful sentiment. He's like, I'm no longer this raging man. I'm like this calm man who's like pastorally caring for people. And so I think like when I think about our lives in this divisive society, like our 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 um, um, lives are supposed to be like Christ in which people are like, man, this person is so reflected of the character of Christ that I don't mind if I'm with people who are unlike me. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's... Uh, there's, it starts in divisiveness and then there's a unity that forms over time. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of arguments between <laughs> Matthew the Levite yeah. and John, and I'm sure Jesus was like, mm-hmm. you guys need to work it out. If you're, <laughs> if you want to follow me, you gotta, you gotta follow me. Right. Um, and so, and I think we can see other really powerful examples of that in Christian, uh, other Christians throughout history. Mother Teresa, like tons of people are like, like, it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody is like, Mother Teresa is like, great. And she's like, I'm just trying to be like Christ. That's mm-hmm. her life. And there's many other examples in, in church history. I just am reading a lot of Mother Teresa right now. So I quote her, <laughs> reference her. Yeah. I think um, you're talking about like how they probably were all mad at each other a lot of the time, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is true. Um, I think I was thinking about in James, James 1, um, the recommendation is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, mm-hmm. and slow to become angry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really countercultural right now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, I think our culture says always be angry. Like, there's so much to be angry about. Um, mm-hmm. And so, especially in our conversations with each other, we can be slow to become mm-hmm. angry and hear people out and hear, you know, and navigate where we disagree, and that's okay. Um, And there are things we should be angry about, like we were just talking about in the sermon last night. Like, you know, God is mad at some things and that's okay. And I think we should we should align with Jesus there. But um, I think in the way we conduct ourselves, anger is not the best as our default. Yeah. And I think we get angry because and people get so emotionally invested because we see the kingdom like the United States of America as our, we primarily see this is our kingdom. This is like where everything like matters. And I think ultimately kind of similar to what you guys are saying is Jesus eventually got those 12 guys to see that his kingdom mm. was longer lasting yeah. and more important to be invested in. 
And it doesn't mean we don't invest in our current kingdom. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we don't care for it or we want to make it. We should definitely make a more righteous country, but we can't put all of our hopes on this country. Yeah. We know that it's never going to be a righteous place. Mm-hmm. We know that it's destined to fall. Every government will fall, and the United States is no exception. Yeah. But the kingdom of God will mm-hmm. last for eternity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that emotional, that, that sense of anger and the, the ability to ostracize somebody who disagrees with me is because we don't have a good, like, concept or a big picture view we we put all of our weight mm-hmm. all of our expectations on on what's temporary on around us but god yeah. calls us to something higher yeah a bigger perspective i think that's true i was talking to some people around the time when um president trump was impeached and um we were praying and I was like, well, thank you, Jesus, that you can't be impeached, <laughs> you know? Mm. And I think that was a wake up call for some people because mm. yeah. it's like, we can't put our hopes on our current circumstances because yeah. Jesus is coming and he's That's king right. and he's bigger than this. Yeah. He's bigger than this election. Mm. I think, yeah, let's transition into like, what is true no matter who wins the election? You know, what can we put our hopes in for real? Yeah, I think I think for sure, like just kind of related to what I, I just said, you know, we can know for sure that no matter who wins the election, the world we live in is still going to be a fallen place. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when, you know, Barack Obama, man, I just like love the way he speaks. And, he, <laughs> you know, he's he's a really powerful speaker. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I was in Bellingham, Washington on um, election night and he won and people were out in the streets they were partying and um a, a friend of mine was walking up a street and there was a sign there was like a spontaneous march that formed in Whoa. celebration of him winning and uh, this friend of mine who was out there he was interacting with people and he came home and he said people think like it's like they think deliverance has like come mm-hmm. because he's won like their expectations were so high they thought now the world is, there's a sense of the world is going to be made right. And ultimately, I mean, not, this isn't his statement about how Barack Obama did as president, but I think people were disappointed mm-hmm. because the world stayed similar to how it was before. Yeah. And so people just put all these expectations that the next president is going to change and fix the world. And the world's going to be really similar tomorrow as it is today. Yeah. We can make progressive changes. Things are growing. Things are a lot better today than they were back in the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And that's great. But it was really slow. And a lot of the things back then are still true today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We aren't actually in that different of a place. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there just needs to be that, that cooling down of expectations and knowing we can do what we can do, mm-hmm. but there's a greater kingdom coming. I think um, just going off of that, uh, it's a good example of the rhetoric that's used. Like President Obama's campaign was hope. Like that was the slogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so I think we're, it speaks to how much we're looking for hope, you know, like mm-hmm. we're just desperate for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't rely on any one yeah. moment in history mm-hmm. to bring that except yeah. for Jesus or make America great again. Right. America feels like pretty similar to how it did a while ago. I mean, there's some big changes, right? There's mm-hmm. some differences, but 
um, it's not like the greatness fell upon us again. You know what I mean? Right. It's just mm -hmm. like we have this anticipation that mm -hmm. kind of falls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one thing um, to, like, what can we remember? This is something that uh, I I heard uh, 10 years ago, and I still listen to it every now and again. There's a, a sermon by a guy named S.M. Lockridge, which I don't know much about the guy, but this sermon called That's My King, you should just go on YouTube and look up That's My King by S.M. Lockridge. Okay. And it's epic. It's a really great. Are you going to spoil it for us or do we have uh, to go listen to it? I would, it's like eight minutes long. It's not that long. <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, just look it up and it's like, it's just like, this is who my king is. This is who my leader is. He's not like any other. And it's just like, yeah, that's what I believe in. I believe in that more than any president, more than any politician or world leader. Like I believe in my king. It's really, it's really good. I'm not going to spoil it. It's a, <laughs> it's really, really yeah. well done. We believe you that it's relevant. Yeah. We'll listen to it after the podcast. <laughs> yeah. There we go. But mostly Jesus is supreme. Mm -hmm. It's a Jesus is supreme. It's, it's yeah. really good. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, God is still trustworthy, regardless of who is in leadership. Um, I think that's true. I think the biblical principles of praying for your leaders, we should still do that, regardless of who it is. Um but all hope is not lost depending on who wins or loses because Jesus is still coming and nothing's going to change that because he's, he's trustworthy. Okay, let's end with that. Christian and Nathan, thanks for being willing to talk about this and share your opinions because political stuff is hard. Uh, if you're out there listening, we hope it was helpful for you to hear some different perspectives on this topic. Um, feel free to email us with comments, questions, or topic suggestions at social at OregonStateXA.com or reach out to one of us in person. Have a great week, and remember, Jesus is King, even in 2020.